Welcome to Mother Food, a podcast dedicated to mothers who turn the traditional role of feeding into professional success. I'm your host, Elisa Timoshkina, event planner, supper club host, cook, food writer and first-time mama. In this podcast, we will meet women who forged inspiring careers in food while also embracing life as mothers. We cover topics from life-work balance and self-nurture to pregnancy diets, breastfeeding, baby weaning, family meal planning and a lot more. No matter where you are on your journey now, you will find support, advice, inspiration and a community here. Mother Food is a space for heartfelt discussions filled with recipes, food memories, practical tips and honest insights into the lives of modern mothers. My guest today is Heidi Z. She is a mother of two, writer, a dietitian specializing in pre and postnatal nutrition and author of Apples Under My Bed blog where she talks about everyday life as a mother and offers wonderful nourishing recipes for the whole family. It was really lovely to connect to Heidi as the subject of nutrition is something that I feel extremely passionate about and feel that I need to constantly gather more knowledge about it. And I feel that this interview has really helped resolve certain dilemmas of my own, namely those ones connected to the need to know and understand versus the ability to surrender and trust your own needs and your own body. So I guess body knowledge versus intellectual scientific knowledge. And it's been really amazing to realize that a lot of Heidi's approach is so much focused on and honors the body, its intuition and the importance of being kind to yourself. It's a really wonderful approach that I feel is so refreshing to see this whole idea of anti-diet nutrition and a very holistic approach to life um, where obviously food is a huge part of it. So during our conversation Heidi gave so much beautiful insight and advice that actually is not specifically focusing on nutrition but rather about your overall well-being, your mindset and the idea of being kind to your own needs and the ability to tune into your body is something that I personally find extremely nourishing and to me personally it has been a real lifeline, it's been a real turning point in my own experience of how I relate to my body, to its needs and to the whole experience and act of cooking, eating and deciding what to cook. So I very much hope that if you have concerns and a bit of anxiety around this tension of knowing what's good for you versus wanting something that you know isn't good for you from an objective scientific point of view. I really hope that this episode will help you resolve that dilemma the same way as it helped me. And I very much hope that it will inspire or perhaps return that joy of 
and comfort of nourishing yourself almost regardless of the actual food that you're eating. And I realized that it might sound a bit crazy <laughs> introducing a episode dedicated to nutrition by saying that it almost doesn't matter what you eat, it's how you eat that's more important. But I feel that it's a really important message that um, needs to be put out there. <laughs> I also wanted to mention that um, I'm particularly grateful to Heidi for agreeing to record this episode with me twice. This really is the first <laughs> and probably the biggest um, baby brain moment <laughs> in the history of this podcast when Heidi and I have done a really lovely interview and it went so well and as I was saying goodbye to her I've realized that I forgot to press record. Um, so this is the second time that we've recorded this, well <laughs> second time that we've spoken, first time that I've actually recorded us speaking and actually I feel the second time went a lot better and again it was a fantastic lesson for myself that while it was a real big mess up on my behalf, that it's okay, you know, um, that other mums understand that and there is no need to beat yourself up about it. It obviously happened and there's nothing I could have done about it. And the second time proved as good if not better. So just another little reminder to always be gentle and kind to yourself. Hi Heidi, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for having me again, Alyssa. <laughs> I wanted to start by asking you to tell us um, about your story and um, if motherhood was an inspiration for your career, because it's amazing to see that so many women who are guests on this podcast have experienced that real big shift and that the kind of lifestyle, the career, the professional calling that they have now is very much informed by their experience as mothers, which I find yes. so inspiring. Um, so how, yeah. did, how did that happen for you? Yes, well, um, hello, my name's Heidi Z, um, and I am, I am a mother. I have two children, Joan is four and Walt is one, um, and we live in Australia. And yes, I'm a pre and postnatal dietitian. I also have a column with a website here in Australia where I share simple and nourishing family recipes. And I am an author. My book was published last year in Australia by HarperCollins Australia. It's called Nurturing Your New Life, Words and Recipes for the New Mother. And it is actually due to be published very soon in the US and later on in the year in the UK on November 12th in 2020. Yeah, so it's really exciting. and. I mean, I, I've listened to most of your podcast episodes and I, like you and so many of your guests, wrote my book while I was pregnant. Oh, I, wow. Yeah, I got, I got the book deal and found out I was pregnant in the same week. So, what yes. Is, it's, what is that coincidence? I don't know. It's certainly not a coincidence. I'm yet to discover what is the meaning of that. <laughs> yes, it's all cosmically linked. Yes. It's quite amazing, yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, um, so I, you know, I grew up loving food. My mum, my mum is a brilliant cook, but I never set out to have a career in food. 
I, um, I just overheard fellow students talking one day about a course called Nutrition and Dietetics and I looked it up and it seemed like an excellent way to be paid to talk about food all day. Um, and I also liked the fact that I could work in private practice. My parents are both in private practice. They're both psychologists. They were both teachers first and then retrained. And I loved the flexibility it afforded them. Um, my mum could schedule her clients around my brothers and I. So, you know, that's sort of what really appealed to me. And I was working in general nutrition before becoming a mother. It was after my daughter was born. Um, almost five years ago, that I sort of thought everything through again and I realised that she wouldn't just slip into my life as I had thought she would. Um, and, you know, she was a wakeful baby. Um, and the thought of going back to general nutrition where I would have to keep up to date with best practice recommendations and all the latest research for a wide range of issues, um, that felt really, really overwhelming. And I did not feel competent to really do that because I was, you know, sleep deprived. You know, I imagined I'd go back and seeing clients again at five months and then, you know, that time came and it was, I, I couldn't. And I feel really grateful that I could sort of, you know, step back and my husband and I sort of rearranged our budget to live on one income for longer than, than we'd imagined. And I feel very grateful that I could do that. I know not everyone has the privilege of being able to do that. Um, it's just what felt right for us. And um, so we, I delayed my return to work. And when I went back, I was working via Skype, so online, which was very convenient for me and for my clients too. And I was working um, only with pre and postnatal clients. So just decided to go for it. I, my head was in that space and it was a new passion area. And I knew how important it was to look after women. Um, and and how um, much harder it is when we're not feeding ourselves. Yeah. Uh, was there something in your own experience that was like a real turning point where you thought, okay, this is, you know, I've, I never thought I would feel this and this is really so clear to me that I need to pursue the nutrition for pregnancy and postpartum? Yes. I mean, I was always interested in pregnancy. I'd always wanted to experience pregnancy. I'd always wanted to experience birth. I was there at the birth of my younger brother. I was five. And that was, you know, my mum had three very positive birth experiences. And so I was itching to give birth. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, when I was pregnant, I had the very common nausea, food aversions. I couldn't even look at a zucchini without gagging. Um, and yet I would dream of McChicken burgers. Like I would look up images. I would be seeing clients and I would, you know, look at images of McChicken burgers at the same time because they would help <laughs> stunt the gagging that I wanted to do when they were telling me about let talking to me about lettuce. Um, so that was certainly an interesting experience, which I guess sort of opened my eyes to the fact that we can have all these plans of how we would like things to go, but, you know, from the get-go, even even from, you know, conception, conception might not happen easily. And so, you know, from, from the real get-go of motherhood, it, it does not go very often. It does not go according to plan. And we sort of need to surrender and adjust our expectations and be as kind as possible to ourselves along the journey. And so that really 
um, I suppose it, it began then when I was um, writing on my blog about the McChickens I was dreaming about and the glorious date Ben and I had at McDonald's one day. And, you know, I'm someone who often posts pictures of like salads because I love big salads and, you know, um, generally I'm, I gravitate towards whole foods because that's what my body feels best eating. Um, I eat all foods, but I do eat a lot of veggies. Um, and so I think people were kind of shocked when I was um, posted this picture of me with, um, you know, my McChicken <laughs> and it was glorious. I didn't eat it a lot. I actually only had it once, but that doesn't matter. You know, the whole point is just being kind to ourselves and tuning into what our body needs. And yes, it's important to nourish ourselves with whole foods, but, you know, being well nourished isn't, I say uh, this is so important, being well nourished isn't about eating spinach. You know, you can have all the nutrition knowledge in the world, but if you don't pay attention to your needs and if you can't be kind to yourself, then you can't really nurture yourself. So I think um, then when I was thrown into new motherhood and my daughter was very wakeful and very dependent on me for sleep, <laughs> I imagined babies would just go down in a bassinet and you would walk away and they would fall asleep and sleep for three hours or however long babies need to sleep for. And then I would pick her up and it would all be good. But no, she was completely dependent on me and I could not get her to sleep away from me. She had these super spidey senses and would wake always. And so eventually I stopped trying to get her into her cot and her bassinet and I just, you know, again, educated myself on normal infant sleep behaviour um, and really understood what was going on there and, and that, you know, it was it just felt better to tune into what felt right for me and my baby rather than, you know, following along, along with all the, um, you know, scare tactics, I guess, of that you're going to spoil them and they're never going to be learning to sleep independently. Mm. Um, so I just sort of threw all those worries out the window when it just became, it felt a bit ridiculous how much I was resisting it. And she slept on me in the baby carrier for the first 15 months of her life and we, you know, we co-slept at night. She was in bed with me and um, we were just happier. We, I'd adjusted my expectations and we were rested, you know, better rested. And I think that was a big learning curve for me too. Um, just sort of the real need, how, how bad you can feel when you're not sleeping, how out of whack your hormones can be, mm. how that can influence your you know, the food you're craving, yeah. but also your ability to put together a meal and, and just how, how much it all influences your well-being and how, you know, pregnancy and breastfeeding are very draining on our bodies. And if you're feeding yourself well, if you're fueling yourself, it can make a real difference to how you feel. Yes, absolutely. And it's amazing to hear you say that. Um, and it's truly is a holistic approach where you consider all different aspects. You know, it's, sleep is such a huge part of how you feel on physical and emotional level. And of course, as you said, it impacts your cravings and your ability to cook. And that brings me on to a very important point about the cravings <laughs> and their versions. Um, it's been a real... Um, a really fascinating experience for me but I think also um, especially as women we are conditioned by those um, you know bizarre stories of pregnant women craving like ice cream and pickles and you know like the you know the pregnancy cravings are a real kind of 
um, I don't know, myth in our society. Um, so I, in a way, was uh, partly kind of worried that I might develop some crazy, bizarre cravings, especially that I was a vegetarian at the time. And I was really worried that what if I crave beef and you know, what am I going to do? Uh, but I actually, during my pregnancy, I didn't. And I had the relatively straightforward, in terms of food, a very straightforward pregnancy. Um, but then when I gave birth and I had my daughter, then the crazy cravings for carbs and specifically for brownies started. And I was like, uh-oh, what's going on? Um, but I decided not to you know, control myself in that way and would just allow myself to eat that one brownie or sometimes, no, I guess two, I wouldn't. They are quite rich and <laughs> intense. <laughs> but definitely I would have one brownie every day for at least six months, I think. And I was surprised that, and I also started eating chicken, so I was back to eating meat. But I was really surprised how well my body was coping. There was no, you know, that okay, the notorious weight gain wasn't that much of a concern, but I also was surprised that I haven't put on any weight. Uh, you know, my skin wasn't reacting. I was absolutely fine. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so I was so keen to ask you all about, you know, how, how do the cravings and aversions work? on um, kind of psychological, biological level, but also in terms of that kind of holistic approach. You know, it's great if you're craving broccoli, because I sometimes crave broccoli and it's wonderful. Um, but also if you are craving something that's not as good for you, say crisps or pickles or brownies, how do we kind of navigate that balance between objectively, nutritionally wholesome food, but also the food that makes you feel good and just satisfies your needs? Yes, <laughs> cravings. I too was waiting to crave something wild. Um, I was expecting I would be like dipping chips in mustard and stuff like that. Never happened. Um, but the food aversions were real. Cravings can some, oh, they can be many things. Sometimes they are an underlying nutritional deficiency. You know, sometimes you might find yourself craving seafood when you are needing iodine or, you know, pickles with salt. Um, but, you know, oftentimes it can just be fluctuating blood sugar levels. Our hormones go very, very wild during pregnancy and um, even when breastfeeding as well. And when we are not sleeping, as I said, our hormones are all over the place and that can really influence your hunger and fullness, you know, your appetite. And it can influence your need for these sort of instant energy foods, which are often, you know, cakes and brownies and biscuits um, and chocolate and coffee and, you know, all those good things. And so I think it's very important to listen to your body, you know, and, and to um, not deny yourself things, you know, because we live in a diet culture where that message of good and bad foods, it's very pervasive. Um, and it can have, you know, really bad effects in terms of restricting yourself and then, you know, restricting, restricting, restricting and then binging. Mm. Um, and, you know, also restricting and not properly nourishing yourself because our nutritional needs, you know, after pregnancy, especially if you're breastfeeding, they are very, very high. And yet we're left with this big, soft, wobbly, you know, strange body that we're not used to having and it's a time when people often you know restrict their intake because they're not pleased with the way they look or they're just so 
busy and they, you know, they're restricting just because they, um, you know, they're not finding the time to eat everything they need. Um, and so there can be many reasons why we're sort of, you know, craving certain things or not nourishing ourselves optimally. Um, it can also be if we wake up and have a breakfast that is, you know, super balanced and we're having protein rich foods and, and fat rich foods and fiber, you know, so say we're having eggs and avocado and some sardines on a really nice sourdough with like steamed spinach, you know, that's going to um, set us up to hormonally to, um, you know, have much more steady blood sugar levels and our energy is going to be much more sustained and we won't be craving these, you know, brownies. But I mean, who gets to make themselves that every morning when you're a new mother, you know, so often, you know, we're challenged to eat anything. So there's, there's a whole range of reasons as to why we might find ourselves craving these foods. Um, I think it's important to let yourself have those foods if you're really wanting them, but to also really prioritize your nourishment so that you are batch cooking or having a well-stocked pantry, um, reminding yourself to eat, asking people to prepare food for you so that you are getting the nutrients you need so that you have sustained energy, so that your nutrient stores are being replenished and you're not depleting yourself. And um, so that you are, yeah, so you're nourishing yourself really, really well because you really need, you know, you need that energy. Um, and then you can have those foods in addition, totally have the brownie, totally have, I love chips or crisps, you know, um, they were a staple, um, first trimester food for me at least. Um, and, but ideally, yeah, ideally you'll be having them in addition to all your, all your other foods. Mm, yeah. That's such a great insight. And it makes perfect sense. Cause of course, if you prioritize one approach over the other then of course you, you will be out of um, balance and it's all about having that ability to kind of understand that you can have everything but as long as it's kind of a, as wholesome as as possible then that's probably the best thing to do and another and interesting not, yeah sorry I was, I was just gonna say and, and that you're not finding yourself just just eating you know um, cake and coffee, you know, like that is, I say, actually in my book, I say they are wonderful additions to your diet, cake and coffee. I'm big, big fans. Um, but you need them in addition to your other food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And another interesting thing that you've, um, touched upon is that idea to kind of listen to your body and, um, the idea of intuitive eating is, eating is also something that I'm very interested in or just kind of intuition in general on a kind of more holistic level and it turns out it's not that easy <laughs> you know it takes practice and almost certain um yeah certain kind of rituals or tools that you need to apply on consistently to be able to really tune into your intuition and just and understand what is intuition and what your body is asking you to do and i know that in your book you talk about that um, as well so it's not and I love that that it's not just about recipes and how to cook them and understand the nutrient value of the meal but it's actually a lifestyle and the mentality and kind of almost a philosophy <laughs> of how you live so I'd love yeah. for you to share a bit of um, that insight about intuitive eating and kind of tuning into your body Yes, tuning in. I mean, I start the book there because um, it is so important to know who you are and to pay attention to how you're feeling. 
um, always, but, you know, especially when you're going through this incredible process of growing a person and <laughs> birthing a person um, and then, you know, becoming a mother and caring for this little person, um, paying attention to that little voice inside which sort of, you know, I mean, they say intuition sort of develops um, over time, you need to have experience and, you know, perhaps it's to do with your, you know, previous past experiences and your perception around you. And, and so to, in order to sort of nurture your maternal intuition, you really need to live, you need to um, listen to your baby, you need to make mistakes. Um, you know, figure out what their cries mean, figure out what it feels like when you um, do something that maybe follow some advice that doesn't quite sit right versus really, you know, what felt right to you, you know. So it's all about gaining experience and being kind to yourself and knowing that you're not going to get everything right. Um, you know, mistakes are a part of it and, um, you know, paying attention to you and what that little voice inside is saying is right for your baby because it's very, very wise. And, you know, even if we haven't gained all the experience yet, we still need to listen to it. And we still need to know that, you know, we're not, we may not be a doctor or we may not be um, a maternal child health expert, but we are our baby's mother and we have insights that no one else can possibly have. And so really honoring it, even when you make mistakes and you knowing that it's all just being filed away for um you know for your future intuitive mm. um insights um so it really throughout the book a lot of it's you know it's about being kind to yourself and you know because it's not going to go as we perfectly it's it's so much of of it is not going to go as we'd hoped or we'd planned or there will be things crop up that we never even knew existed like my baby had cradle crap on cradle crap excuse me <laughs> cradle crap <laughs> on her face um at you know five weeks old and I, I had no idea that was even a thing she just suddenly had all these scales and you know and you know she was in a hip brace she had hip dysplasia so all these things that that happened that you just cannot possibly be prepared for um I suppose just surrendering to it listening to yourself being kind to yourself and and um yeah, just just knowing that you're amazing, I suppose, and you're not supposed to get it right. It can seem as though everyone else is getting it right, but but you know, motherhood is messy and it's full of these crazy things. And um, intuition can just be like a a good friend guiding us through the journey. And sometimes we we don't get clear intuitive messages. Sometimes it's just a mess, and that's just part of it. And um, you know, we're not expected to have all the answers. And thank goodness we have people around us and health professionals and other people we can go to when we're unsure, but all the same, like what we feel is important. And in terms of paying attention to yourself, I, I, there's this one exercise that I love and it's very simple. My mother actually did it with me when I was um, a, she's a kinder, she's a kinder teacher and a psychologist. So of course she did this with me when I was young, <laughs> but she, um, you know, say if I was nervous before ballet exams or something like that, she would um, get me to point out, two things in nature or around me that I could see, two things that I could hear and two things that I could feel or smell or something. So just to pause, pay attention, get back in touch with your senses and to tune into what's around you, doing that just sort of exercises that muscle and gets you 
more mindful, more used to paying attention, um, paying attention to what's going on inside you and, and as you're growing your baby, you know, paying attention to your baby. And, you know, the key there as well is paying attention without judgment. And we're not always very good at doing that, but it's important. Mm, absolutely. And it's wonderful. That's such a wonderful exercise and how beautiful that um, you grow up with a mom who, um, in, you know, encouraged you or invited you to do that so early on. And I think for me, um, that whole idea of uh, feeling grounded in your body and that real presence in the body because we're so much up in our heads and we really do disconnect you know we really think of ourselves or rather our sense of self is really rooted in our heads we never think of mm. the self as being in the body and to me obviously pregnancy was such a huge turning point where your body is just so present <laughs> you're so aware of it all the changes and all the sensations so I think to me it was a real starting point to practice that kind of grounding um, sensations and really bringing myself so much more in the body and that really has been a life-changing thing and obviously for the best for the better kind of existence in general um, a lot of people find as well that intuitive eating becomes easier when they're pregnant because they you know, they sort of feel like they're doing it for the baby or they do feel much more in touch with their body and they're okay with, you know, they know that they're supposed to be putting on weight. So they're, they sort of might find themselves relaxing some of those restrictions mm. and they can just be, okay, what do I feel like? You know, and it's really quite liberating to ask yourself that question, free yourself from those diet culture messages, which are very pervasive. You know, we, we might not think that we're influenced by diet culture, but we do internalize that rhetoric of what's good, what's bad, what shouldn't I be eating, how much should I be eating? It's, um, you know, it's very easy to have these disordered eating practices throughout, you know, every age, gender, um, socioeconomic bracket you know that it, it's pervasive as I keep saying <laughs> um, and so it's very liberating to to free yourself from that and to get sort of in, in a more intuitive way of eating mm -hmm. absolutely and it's interesting that um, you said that you know it's great to have the intuition and follow it but also obviously you know if you don't feel comfortable or you don't yet know what is that kind of clear in, intuition the message that you're getting then um, there are experts or there are professionals who you can turn to. Um, I wanted to talk about this, again, kind of a balance between listening to your body, trusting your intuition, letting go of all the conditioning and messages, but at the same time, obviously not taking your health completely into your own hands. So I don't really know exactly how I feel about it, and I hope my question is going to make sense. But um, on the one hand, in my own experience, I felt that in conventional medicine, well, with the NHS here, there's so little kind of interdisciplinary knowledge. Like if you're being treated by a midwife, hardly ever she's going to talk to you about diet unless there's a very apparent issue. Like I was super low on iron, so she had to like give me some or maybe I was just lucky with the kind of more open-minded midwife, but, you know, she gave me some kind of nutritional advice, a super basic one. So obviously I, luckily, because I already knew a lot about, you know, food and nutrition, I kind of knew what I should eat. Uh, but most people don't even make the connection. Um, 
but at the same time, I wouldn't advise anyone going on the internet or like, you know, doing their own Googling and there's so much, so many fads and so many awful Instagram accounts that promote um, orthorexia and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so how do we navigate that very, very tricky <laughs> field? <laughs> I'm sorry if it's a bit of a like massive question, but... Um, no, it is. And, and I wrestled with this with my book because I work, you know, I encourage intuitive eating and yet I wanted to include a chapter on nutrition to um, to basically be, you know, it's called nourishing yourself part, part one and then there's nourishing yourself part two because it's a big, it's a lot to consider. Um, and yes, you should hopefully ideally be tuning into how you feel and honoring that but it's a bit of a wild time, you know, intuitively I was, my body told me to eat McDonald's and potato chips, you know, <laughs> um, and that's not, you know, the most nourishing choices. Um, and so it is a bit of a balance. In addition, you know, your digestive system is sort of all over the place. And so you might not intuitively want to have loads of fibre, um, but you will benefit if you need it. And there are things like nutritional supplements that for many people are very beneficial, you know, for that there are very good quality supplements that, you know, there are certain nutrients in our diet or in our, that we're lacking in our soil that, that means that, you know, we can really benefit from these supplements and yet we might not intuitively know that we need to take them. So, Yes, it's something I wrestled with when writing the book is that, you know, tune into your body, but also here is some information that might benefit you. Um, these are some things to consider because we know that, you know, if we can have a diet that is, you know, if we're eating whole foods that are very nutrient dense, which most of the time our body does intuitively tell us to eat, you know, we, we generally feel good when we eat vegetables and you know, olive oil tends to make most people feel good and, and oily fish, you know, if you're a fish eater. And, and, you know, so we are generally driven to eat these whole foods. Um, but, you know, we might need some encouragement as to what variety of foods to eat. And I hope to do that in the book is to provide, you know, some information for pre-pregnancy, pregnancy and postpartum. Because, yeah, you, you don't want to be googling you don't want to be following these accounts you want to be getting you know as i say personalized advice so if you're unsure if, if you find that by you know seeking qual quality information and tuning into your body if you find you need further assistance then it's always important to to seek personalized advice from a dietitian um and you know some ideally one who is very familiar with pre and postnatal nutrition because it is a time where nutrition is really important and um, can make a big difference to how you feel and um, to how, you know, to the, to the health and well-being of your baby and, and your pregnancy as well. So I certainly wrestled with that, with, um, you know, wanting people to be intuitive and to not, you know, not be harsh on themselves or think they need to eat in a certain perfect way and yet providing some information about this, you know, these are some foods that, that, are probably going to be beneficial for you and and it is a good idea to look at supplements and and you might need to look into this so i think it's i think it's a tough one honestly like yes our bodies are amazing and we're generally capable of growing a baby no matter what we eat you know our body will our body will draw from our stores and our baby will you know very likely 
be very well nourished, you know, and, and be and grow perfectly fine. But you know, epigenetics is an interesting area which we're learning more and more about that we can, you know, influence the health of our baby, um, even from the preconception period, and also how is how are we going to feel as well? Because as I said, pregnancy and breastfeeding are very it can be very depleting on the mother. And so, you know, if you do um, pay attention to what you're eating, you are going to be feeling much, much better, um, you know, and you won't be putting yourself at higher risk of things, you know, like osteoporosis later in life. So, yeah, it's a tricky one to answer because I do want people to be kind to themselves, to not be thinking they have to eat perfectly, but at the same time taking nutrition um, seriously and and caring for themselves mm, absolutely and it's interesting that you know how we would talk about well or a lot of us talk about you know pregnancy as being this really wonderful time you get this pregnancy glow and then I thought well of course because I was so you know I was really in a healthy way paying attention I was very mindful of what I was eating and I was eating really well I mean I wasn't drinking I wasn't um, you know, staying up late, <laughs> you know, I had just a very healthy life, basically. And then yeah. it's interesting that once you have the baby, you kind of forget about it, but you are, your health and well-being is as essential to your baby and to yourself, of course, even when you are two separate people, <laughs> you know, you just yes. kind of have the pregnancy protocol always. <laughs> it is. Yes. Um, it becomes yeah. even more important, you know, yeah. after birth when you're, you know, it's, the period after birth, it's a momentous time for the mother and it's a time when our body is recovering from um, growing and birthing a baby and food can be really supportive of that. Um, you know, it can, it can help give us the energy we need to care for our baby and to make milk. It can be really comforting. Um, but, you know, uh, and hopefully, you know, if you're eating a nutrient-dense diet and continuing to take your supplements, hopefully you will avoid becoming depleted but they you know breastfeeding and pregnancy are very depleting processes um and so you sort of do have to actively look after yourself and it becomes that much harder in you know after birth and yet it's that much more important mm. um if you're breastfeeding yeah which is not to say that mothers who aren't breastfeeding nutrition doesn't matter it is simply that you know in order to make milk your body continues to draw from your stores um, and it requires a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. And speaking of energy, obviously giving birth is one of the most intense <laughs> experiences of a lifetime. And in preparation for birth, I was um, doing lots of reading, of course. <laughs> and again, there was a bit of um, confusing information about what you should eat well, on the, on the one hand, there are all these like um, kind of ancient wisdom style foods that help induce labor naturally, help, you know, support a kind of good contractions, kind of ensure a you know, kind of steady labor. And then on the other hand, there's also um, this debate about whether or not you should eat uh, during labor and kind of how do you get your energy there? And also like, I've realized that different hospitals have different policies about because they obviously operate in a kind of risk prevention mode. And, you know, for them, 
if there is a need for an emergency c-section then obviously anesthetics and food don't go well together so i felt like their advice and their regulations were not really putting the mother's interest first um so again i wanted to ask you about that what was your personal experience but also from a nutritional perspective how do we navigate that area as well yes it's important to be aware of your if you're giving birth in a hospital of be aware of their policy um but you know most of the time you are allowed to eat and drink something during labor i think they're realizing that more and more that it, how important it is that the mother you know feels well um and i yeah ideally you will have some fuel in your tank but you never really know you know unless you're being induced you don't really know when labor is going to begin you don't know how long it's going to go for so it's hard to sort of pre-fuel um you know perhaps when the first sign of labor starts if making sure you've got something on hand you know that's energy dense that's going to give you a boost i love you know things like bananas toast you know something um like dates um even things later on like grapes and watermelon can be really you know energy rich and hydrating um but then you might not want anything during labor um i you know sometimes lollies can be great because they don't have fiber you know they're just going to be a straight your body's not going to have to work to digest them you're just going to instantly get that energy um so it's very much a case of tuning in on what feels right with your body but yes ideally trying to eat something at the start i certainly <laughs> with my labor um my first labor my baby was breech and so for the the final trimester i was completely preoccupied with her position i did everything everything to try to get her to flip um and i wasn't going to pack a bag i wasn't going to do anything until she was head down um because i knew that you know as a first time mother they are very resistant to at least in australia they really sort of took on board that big study that happened some years ago and that sort of changed hospital policy whereby breech births really you know they are they are more risky and they just weren't done anymore um so i sort of knew that i would be heading for a cesarean if she didn't flip unless i really wanted to you know pioneer for this um vaginal breech birth which i wasn't letting i wasn't really considering because i was not going to consider anything until she was head down because i was so stubborn um but surprise to me um my water's broke at 38 weeks and she was still head up um so thankfully my husband was working from home it was the middle of the day i was about to prepare lunch um but i hadn't eaten since breakfast and we were so excited i was devastated because i knew it probably meant i was going for a cesarean section but also at the same time i was so excited because it meant you know she was well, we didn't know it was a girl but yeah she was coming um and so we we just packed a bag threw some random things in i threw one of my baby's nappies in my underwear because i didn't have pads because i wasn't prepared but i did have nappies um and we drove to the hospital and then we got there and then they said oh you're not allowed to eat or drink and i'm like oh i really should have just even had some water in the car but thankfully i had an amazing obstetrician he was actually from the uk so he was much more familiar with breech birth because i believe it is more done over there 
Um, and he was going to support me. Um, and I just wanted to see what my body would do. I assumed I would probably end up with a cesarean section, but I just wanted to get like a natural hormone release. And, you know, first time I didn't really know I was in labor. I was, you know, basically up until I was fully dilated, I was waiting for someone to come in and go, yes, this is labor. You are in labor. Um, <laughs> So thankfully, though, when I spoke to him on the phone, he said he was happy for me to eat or drink. So I wolfed down a banana, a date, some chocolate, some coconut water. And then an hour or so later, when I was in transition, I threw it all up. So when it was time, oh, and, and yes, she didn't flip, um, but I was very well supported and my labor progressed quickly was spontaneous you know it began spontaneously and we were able to have a brilliant vaginal breech birth so I'm so so grateful it, it went that way yes it was it was wonderful um like so challenging but wonderful <laughs> um but then when it was time for my son's birth and he was head down thank goodness um <laughs> that saved me a lot of anguish although yeah. it would have been I would you know second time mum you're much they're much more you know more supportive of you doing you know they they think you've got it down pat so that was good <laughs> but um but still I was very happy he was head down I at the first sign of labor beginning I had that banana and I had a date bar and I had some coconut water but I made sure I did it at the start of labor um so that I had that fuel in my tank and his labor my labor with him was shorter but I feel like it did give me energy. Mm. And I remember at one point I felt like I needed something extra and I whipped out a lollipop and I was sucking on that in between contractions. And, you know, my labours were both quite fast, I suppose, and, and I never really got, there were never big, big breaks between contractions. But I know, you know, if you are someone who does have big breaks, then it might be easier to actually eat something. Mm. Um, but even so, most women, you know, a lot of women do vomit and bring mm, it all up anyway. Mm, yeah. So it's, it's, an, it's another case of tuning into what feels right for you. And, but I would encourage you to be prepared with, you know, bananas and even some lolly snakes, um, mm. water. I liked coconut water. You know, yes, it's got some electrolytes, but it's mainly, it just felt like it gave me a bit of something extra mm. than water. Yeah. So have something on hand that you want to drink. Um, and, and yeah, just try to tune into your body. <laughs> mm. And then things, um, like you've mentioned dates and, um, raspberry leaf tea and pineapples. I think these are the three things that I've read about. And I think the midwife was kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's not complete. Like, you know, what do you yes. call old wives tales, um, that they do help kind of prepare you for labor or they kind of help the contractions or there's some kind of science behind it um was yes that, yeah yeah um i know the raspberry leaf tea was the one i was recommended mm. um but even so there isn't a lot of we don't have a lot of studies behind these things although there are a couple of um you know there there is some studies behind the um date one you know having i think it is a maybe 80 grams of dates a day which is a lot of dates you know it's a decent amount for the final few weeks of labor um may help ripen the cervix and you know sort of get you ready for labor um but the other ones you know the the pineapple it's got this enzyme in it that may help 
your uterus or, or cervix rather and, and maybe help with contractions and same with the raspberry leaf tea and, and some people find spicy foods you know they might have a make you have a bowel motion which can encourage you know like castor oil can in, encourage perhaps uterine contractions mm -hmm. but we don't have a lot of research behind these things you know nutrition is a very difficult thing to study because there are so many confounding factors let alone um you know it's not very ethical to do a lot of studies during pregnancy and then with labor gosh i mean i think so much so much of it just depends on when your baby is ready to come <laughs> so it might work for you it might not um but if you like dates give it a go yeah <laughs> amazing and when you work with your clients um what kind of areas do you cover you know how early do you start taking them on at what stage are they in their fertility journey and what kind of areas are the most common ones that they need advice in when I decided to go pre and postnatal, I assumed I would be seeing mostly pregnant women um, and I would perhaps be sort of reassuring them throughout that initial period where you're struggling to eat. But the overwhelming majority, it's postnatal. Um, it's women who are varying length. You know, they might have had their baby two months ago or two years ago and they are just feeling not very good. You know, they're, they're struggling to care for themselves. They're not sure what they should be doing or, or maybe they've had a thyroid issue or um, maybe they're just completely sleep deprived and don't know what to do. Um, you know, maybe they're losing a lot of weight. Um, maybe they're struggling to lose weight. And I am a non-diet dietitian, which means I don't, you know, prescribe meal plans. We don't, I don't see my clients with any aim of, weight loss um i simply it's a it's looking at their lifestyle and how they can be kind to themselves and give their body what it needs listening to their body you know sleep it's not just about yes we talk about nutrients and making sure they're they're ideally you know eating vegetables and foods that are going to be very very rich in these nutrients that we need things like dha um, you know, and, and proteins and fats and all these important foods um, and nutrients rather. But a lot of it is looking at, um, okay, how can we get this food? Do you have um, a farmer's market near you? Do you have meal delivery? Like, can you get your groceries delivered? Um, do you have, you know, a, write a shopping list so you don't just go to the shops and forget what you're what you're trying to buy um set aside a time once or twice a week to batch cook you know this is once you're later on not immediately after birth but it, it's sort of the practical side of things more um and encouraging them to sort of check out okay what are my local producers how can i get you know some really good produce or where's a really good bakery that does really nice dense sourdough bread or where can i get some you know eggs from or things like that um and then looking at recipes that are simple and achievable and very nutrient dense and nourishing um and easy to eat and prepare with not a lot of dishes um to clean up afterwards and then as well making sure you know you're reaching your nutrient um targets i suppose you know especially if you're breastfeeding um as i said which is a very draining process so um, it's it's not just the nutrients, it's so much more than that. And it's talking about sleep and it's talking about prioritizing your rest and um, getting outside, getting vitamin D. So yeah, the postnatal 
it, it's um, a very comprehensive sort of lifestyle check. Mm. Um, and then I do also see preconception clients too. Perhaps they've got fertility struggles. Perhaps they're going through IVF or maybe they're just wanting to check things over. Maybe they've got some questions. Um, their partner and that, you know, I'm very welcome to see the male partner too because sperm health is an important consideration and it is not all up to the woman. So, yeah, just some people are wanting to really get into a good space um, from a nutrition point of view, but also, again, from a lifestyle point of view, making sure they're sleeping and not smoking and, you know, seeing a counsellor if their lifestyle is a stressful one. So it's very holistic and it really, I listen to, to what the women want <laughs> a lot of the time, you know, and I just sort of support them and help them figure out what they need to feel good. That's amazing. I, I really love that approach. And it's very inspiring and reassuring to see that there are so many more anti-diet and nutritionists and dietitians out there. And it's such a wonderful shift that's about time <laughs> for it to happen. So yes. it's really lovely to hear that this is your approach as well. I wanted to talk about the, yeah, as you've said, you know, the postpartum actually seems to be the area where most women need a lot more support. And it certainly <laughs> was the case for me. I think I felt a lot more in control or kind of, I thought I was a lot more with it <laughs> while I was pregnant. And then once I gave birth, it just kind of all fell apart. <laughs> What's mm -hmm. like that? Um, so I, I really loved the analogy. Sounded as like shaking the snow globe, and it just you know the particles. I feel they're just starting to settle, and <laughs> it's almost been two years yes. now. So, yes. Um, what should we eat, or like how do we kind of set up our kitchens and our homes in a way that is most kind of conducive to a healthy relationship to food, and also very obviously very important to have restorative foods after labor i'd love to talk a bit about that yes i mean ideally um as well your baby won't surprise you by coming too early and you will have some time to cook meals and freeze them um, and make sure your pantry is stocked with things like i mean i'm a big fan of canned fish um, sardines and salmon, especially if they've got those edible bones, they are fantastically nutrition, like nutrient dense, full of calcium too, you know, which is a very important when breastfeeding, um, so that your body doesn't take everything from your bones. Um, you know, whole grain crackers, um, nuts, seeds, grains, um, seaweed, you know, for an iodine hit, you can have nori. Um, making sure you've got sort of passata, coconut milk, these things in your pantry all ready to go, um, a freezer, you know, with some meals, um, have some sort of an idea as to what you're going to be doing after birth in terms of groceries. Ideally, you will have a partner around who is present um, and able to do the bulk of the meal preparation for you. If not a partner, a mother, an auntie, a friend, or a postpartum doula, um, they are angels. Um, mm. And there are more and more of them, you know, becoming around, available rather. Yeah. Um, and that's how it should be. That's how it was. Um, and it's not that we don't still need that support. It's just not common practice. Mm. Um, and so being okay with asking for support, setting up a meal train, with friends and family is a great idea whereby they drop around a meal on different days in the period after birth. 
Um, or even, you know, there are some great meal delivery services um, that are very nutritious and, and basically like home cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an option if you can afford it. While you're there, uh, if you can afford it, hiring a cleaner. If, um, you know, if we're lucky enough to have a third baby in a few years' time, um, that is 100% what my husband and I will be saving our money towards. We'll be getting a cleaner to come every yeah. couple of Gosh, weeks yes. for a few months. <laughs> But in terms of what, you know, so that's the practical thing, getting ready and, and prepared. And, and later on, you know, when you're able to be up more, prioritising having a meal prep session. I've always got boiled eggs done. I've always got like some roasted vegetables in a container, some quinoa or rice or, you know, a pot of dal or something that can just be easily reheated. And that was very, very important in those early days because you might have a plan to make something, but as we know, like your baby could just, yeah, need you to hold them. Um, And you might, you know, you might take all your effort to have a shower. Um, So, yeah, having that food there is really, really important. It is surprising how hard it is to assemble a meal. Um, I'm also a big fan of a snack plate. So... You know, having veggies and boiled eggs and cheese and avocado or hummus and crackers and, you know, tuning into your body. I'm a big fan of, um, very, very interested in Ayurvedic and traditional Chinese practices. Mm -hmm. And that's not something we learned at university, but um, I'm sort of educating myself on. And they favour, you know, warming, well-cooked, easy-to-digest, oily, spiced foods, um, which are wonderfully nourishing. And they also really care about the mother, you know, that they, it's all about her and her well-being. And all she needs to do is really sort of rest and feed the baby and, and you know, the, the family takes care of everything else. Um, so I think we, can, we have a lot to learn from those practices. But I, you know, some people might really feel like having celery sticks um, or a cold smoothie. So you do need to tune into what feels right for you. Mm -hmm. But I'm a big fan of, you know, soups made with broth and vegetables. They're very hydrating, easy to digest, and you can pack a lot of nutrients in them. I like um, slow cooked gelatinous cuts of meat in casseroles because you're getting that, you know, the fat and proteins and vitamins and um, B12 and iron and zinc and all these things that are really beneficial if you're a meat eater. Oily fish, as I said, fantastic eggs, particularly the yolks, Mm. um, full of things that are beneficial in this season. Yeah, I'm a big fan of sourdough. So, you know, piling sourdough with avocado and Mm -hmm. sardines and um, you can eat that one-handed. Food that makes you feel good as well. Like don't force yourself to eat sardines. Like they Mm -hmm. are very fishy and honestly I need to... There's a recipe in my book for like a salmon smash with um, canned salmon and creme fraiche and it's and some other thing, you know, celery, and it's lovely. I love it. But um, when it's made with sardines, it does taste that bit more fishy and I sort of have to, you know, really put a lot of lemon juice on it. But I make, you know, like they're so nut- nutritious that I do try to incorporate them into my diet. Yeah, don't force yourself to eat these things, but these are just some examples of some very nourishing foods. You know, also make your favourites because you want to be comforted and you want Mm -hmm. to get that oxytocin, you know, feeling that you're being cared for because, you know, for many people, the period after birth can be a time of processing a very challenging birth Mm -hmm. and they will be learning 
breastfeeding um, mm. is a learned skill and for many it's very, very challenging and um, you want to feel nourished, you know, you, you want to feel nurtured and sometimes that means, you know, for, for us it might be Vegemite on toast mm. um, and that's, you know, not rich in protein or fibre or anything but, you know, it's very comforting and it's just what you need sometimes. So it essentially goes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, the cravings that it's very important to follow your body's lead, but also be mindful of the balance and the nutrient quality of the food that you're eating. Absolutely. Yes. Another big topic, which I feel needs a whole new episode, uh, but I'd love to go into it briefly with you, is breastfeeding, uh, but also formula feeding. And, you know, it's a really big subject, isn't it? And it's very charged with emotions because for me personally, I was so passionate and so sure that I will breastfeed. And then the shock of the first few months where it just became the biggest struggle and the biggest trauma. And I became very, you know, luckily for me, it's, I managed to persevere and we now have still, as you can see, <laughs> I'm still breastfeeding. Um, yeah. But I know so many women who haven't been able to have that. And, you know, and it still is a very kind of painful topic for many. But also from a nutrition, you know, from, that's kind of emotionally um, speaking. But then from a nutritional point of view, there is so much confusing information out there. Um, well, first of all, um, the food that you need to consume to ensure that your breast milk has at its kind of full capacity. You know, as you've said, our bodies, no matter what we eat, they prioritize the baby's well-being. So they'll kind of suck all the little bits out of us to give it to the baby. But at the same time, uh, you use a really lovely analogy of the soil. You know, if the soil is unhealthy. The plants that you grow will be lacking in something. So it's, you know, similar to what we have with the baby. Um, but also I've read somewhere that, you know, even if you're super healthy and eating well, your breast milk will not have all the vitamins. So in that sense, formula fed babies actually get a perfectly formulated kind of cocktail of all the essential vitamins and minerals and all of that. Um, so I wanted to ask you again, how do we navigate that <laughs> very complex yeah. field and you know, how do we look after our breasts as women, even if we're not breastfeeding, because it's still, you know, it's such a big part of the hormone kind of dance that happens in the body, but also kind of thinking about the baby and the you know, nutritional benefits that they're getting on different, mo <clears throat> different modes of feeding. Yes. Big question. Um, <laughs> so, yes, breastfeeding is, um, it takes a lot of energy from the mother. Um, it, the levels of some nutrients in your breast milk will remain the same, you know, regardless of your dietary intake, as you said, it will sort of draw from your body and your stores. Um, but for some nutrients, it, it is altered based on your dietary intake or how well nourished you are. Um, and so that's things like DHA, the essential fatty acid and, and vitamin B12 and some other nutrients. Um, and so, yes, your, your breast milk can be sort of enhanced by your diet quality um, in addition to that having an impact on how you feel. 
um, and whether you will become depleted down the track or even, you know, in a more immediate sense. Um, vitamin, breast milk is low in vitamin D. Um, you can, vitamin D is a tricky one. Many women are low in vitamin D. And that's one you want to test even before you become pregnant, but certainly during pregnancy. And supplementation recommendations will be very individual. They will depend on your levels, your geographic location, what time of year you give birth, the color of your skin, how dark your skin is, whether you cover your skin. Um, so all of that will determine your supplementation recommendation. But if your, ba your baby can get enough through your breast milk if you supplement in adequate amounts, but it's not really yet routine for health practitioners to recommend that. Um, that I expect that may change, but um, you know, nutrition recommendations take a while to sort of move along and filter down. Um, so depending on your levels and how much you're supplementing with, your baby might need a supplement of vitamin D. If they are formula fed, they will be getting vitamin D in the, in the formula. And, you know, formula is formulated to, um, you know, have the recommended levels of nutrients. And, you know, we are very lucky to live in a time where it's available um, and to have companies creating products, you know, many of these formula companies are trying to, as best as they can, mimic breast milk so that babies have a best possible second best food, you know, because we know that breast milk is ideal. Um, it's got, it's very easily digestible. It's got nutrients in forms that are very easily absorbable, which is a consideration as well. It's got um, prebiotics, which are important for your baby's gut. It's also dynamic. So it changes according to your baby's needs. And um, when you're sick, you know, your, your body creates antibodies and passes them through your breast milk to your baby. Um, so it's quite astonishing. And, and I think, you know, we know that breast is, is ideal. Breast milk is ideal. And I think that is why women can get that feeling of guilt, you know, because if that is part of your experience of wanting to breastfeed and not being able to, or it being a struggle and needing to supplement fully or partially with formula, I think it is important to let yourself grieve that and um, to feel whatever it is you're feeling. And, and it's okay to feel upset. And hopefully that will help you move through to a place of acceptance and to be able to be kind to yourself um, and to know that it's just one of those things, you know, and to, and thank goodness for formula, you know, because breast milk is amazing, but that doesn't mean that formula isn't an incredible food too. Mm. Um, so I think it is really, it is such an, you know, an emotional topic and, you know, I just feel really lucky that my breastfeeding journey happened, you know, pretty seamlessly because it is a learned skill that initial hour after birth is um, very important and there are ways we can promote breastfeeding with as much skin to skin as possible, ideally a intervention free, um, spontaneous start of labor, you know, all of that. I ideally you're feeling safe and happy and have like the oxytocin hormones flowing um, and having skin to skin and, and you know, having, um, feeding on demand so feeding as much as possible all of that is very conducive to 
to, you know, successful breastfeeding. Um, but even so, you know, anatomically, you know, sometimes there's issues, you know, your baby's mouth might have something which is making a latch tricky. You know, there's, there's factors with you, there's factors with the birth, there's factors with your baby. And it does sort of feel like the luck of the draw sometimes. And, and I think that initial period with skin to skin and feeding on demand, you know, for as much as possible in the early days um, can be really beneficial. And I'm not a lactation consultant. This is just from my sort of, you know, personal and working in this area mm -hmm. experience. But key is a lactation consultant being there and, you know, helping you with your latch, helping with the attachment, providing you with that emotional support um, because it is really, really challenging. And I think, as I said, it can just be the luck of the draw mm -hmm. sometimes with how successful it is or how challenging it is. Um, and that can be really, really, really challenging for mums when you're, you know, you're going through this hormone drop as well and um, recovering from birth. And, but I think being as kind as possible to yourself is very important and having the right kind of support around mm. you. Um, is key. Um, and then in addition to all of this, you know, ideally you will be hydrating and, you know, eating. And I wouldn't, you know, particularly initially, I wouldn't worry too much about, you know, hitting all these nutrient targets. Um, in order to have a good supply, you know, feeding as much as possible, feeding on demand and emptying the breast with a, with a good latch is you know, the first thing to consider. And then secondly, just eating enough. You know, not so much what specifically, but eating enough. And we're, we're often surprised by how hungry we are. And that's because breastfeeding takes a lot of energy. Um, so making sure you are eating um, and drinking fluids, you know, staying hydrated. Those are the top three things. And then, and then you know, if you can, paying attention to having... Um, Foods rich in DHA, so oily fish is wonderful. Um, and vitamin, making sure your vitamin D levels are good and having eggs and um, you know, nutrient-rich vegetables and, um, you know, all of these nourishing foods I've mentioned previously, that's mm -hmm. going to be supportive of breastfeeding and making sure you're having enough. So upping your quantities, um, having those brownies as well and... <laughs> and um, you know, trying to make food, I mean, it sounds like a lot. I, you know, I do feel for mothers. This is why I, you know, am very passionate about this area yeah. because on top of that, you don't want to be stressed about it. But it, it's, you know, it's, it can be a stressful time. Mm. And so I would, I would, yeah, nutrition is important and can be really, it can support breastfeeding um, and it can support the quality of your breast milk. But, uh, but if you're struggling with it, um, I would, first be looking at the lactation consultant mm -hmm. side of things mm -hmm. and nutrition as a second, mm. you know, making sure to, to eat and drink something and then, you know, later on looking at the ins and outs of what. Mm -hmm. And, and health mm -hmm. in general, apologies. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I was such a huge question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, breast health, it's a very much just a general whole foods diet. We know that iodine is very important for breast health and yet, you know, at least in Australia, we, we don't tend to have enough iodine. We're often deficient. And so um, seafood and seaweed are great, um, very iodine rich. And then, uh, you know, often these prenatals are, are, at least in Australia, you know, we're, we're um, seeing that they have iodine in them. So making sure you're on a supplement if you need to as well. So that's definitely one to look into for breast health.
Mm -hmm. And then getting breasts um, checked, feeling them yourself, um, getting familiar with what's normal to you, and then getting you know further assistance with anything you're concerned about. Mm-hmm. And this kind of thematic closing of the whole maternity cycle is the time when, if you are breastfeeding, uh, you stop breastfeeding and your your cycle is back. And from kind of what I understand, that usually is somewhere between you know six months postpartum to 20, 18 months postpartum. Um, is there anything we sh- could be eating or supplementing kind of starting around that time to ensure a healthy kind of kickstart of our cycles and um, kind of a completion of breastfeeding? How do we kind of honor the closing of that phase of our lives and then moving on back to kind of our pre-pregnancy selves? That's a beautiful question. (laughs) Um, I really like that. And to be honest, I haven't really thought about it as a closing off sort of, you know, I mean, my son is 21 months. And um, so I think a very similar age to your daughter. He still feeds like a newborn. Um, (laughs) So I wonder when that will happen for us. I know, same. At some point, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes, some women get their period back immediately. Some women need to stop breastfeeding completely. Um, it's very individual. And some women find that when the breastfeeding slows down and when their sort of fertility is returning, they can get some, some of those hormonal fluctuations. They can feel a bit low or maybe their skin goes a bit wild or, um, you know, a range of different symptoms. Um, and so, you know, in, in terms of how to navigate or care for yourself through that, I would... I would be extra gentle on yourself, extra kind. Um, You're going from a time of needing um, a lot of extra nutrition to then you won't need to eat, you know, quite as much. Um, And for some women that can be, you know, something that causes them to sort of struggle a bit. Um, They might, um, you know, like that, that they really enjoyed eating that extra food. <laughs> I certainly have some clients that really struggle with that and finding it hard to sort of go back to just nourishing themselves rather than eating for my baby and sort of carrying that um, intention to really nourish yourself going forward in the future, not just because you're pregnant or breastfeeding. I think that's something that I think, yeah, a lot of women sort of, wrestle with and be like okay I'm not doing it for my baby anymore I need to make sure I keep looking after myself um in terms of what you can do to support yourself while transitioning um look there are some sort of herbs that you can take um but I would recommend seeing a naturopath because we don't tend to you know there aren't studies on breastfeeding and safety and it's because it's not ethical again to do that so I'm not comfortable recommending certain things like that. Um, I would simply say nourishing yourself with whole foods, remembering to eat, um, doing things that are kind for yourself, whether that's in relation to food or whether that's in relation to, you know, other things that are not related to food, like um, having a bath or or um, talking with girlfriends. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe you could treat yourself to a nice bra that doesn't unlatch. <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, 
But to be honest, I haven't um, thought about what more I might do. In terms of your hormones and food, if you're eating a whole food um, diet, if you're if you're nourishing yourself, if you're you know replenishing your stores, if you're eating in a way that feels good, and if your energy levels are you know good, you know if you're if you've got a wakeful child, you are going to be tired some of the times. But but if you are you know if you're feeling as good as you should be, um, as you think you should be rather then um, you might not need to do anything extra. But if you think you're struggling, I think it's worth um, seeing a dietitian mm. or even getting something like acupuncture, mm-hmm. something that can sort of support you as you close that chapter. And maybe it'll pick up on an underlying issue that was there already that perhaps is becoming more evident now that you have weaned or are feeding infrequently because sometimes that can happen too especially with a thyroid issue so tuning in eating lots of whole foods being kind to yourself and and prioritizing your well-being Mm, amazing that's beautiful thank you so much and also for your generosity and kindness to do this for the second time (laughs) (laughs) i had a glass both times (laughs) oh thank you so much Thanks, Alyssa. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. I would love to know what you think of Mother Food, so please rate and leave a review. You can find me on Instagram at Alyssa Timoshkina and do visit my website, alyssatimoshkina.com, for show notes and recipes featured on this podcast. Okay.